You're listening to the Plain Label Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Plain Label Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Williams, and in this episode, we continue our look at writer-director Martin Scorsese with two films that can be considered his most comedic, The King of Comedy, and After Hours. Joining me once again for this theme and this episode is returning guest, Mr. Ben Teed. Hello! Before getting into our discussion, I would like to mention that we are proud members of the Deliberate Noise Network. Search Deliberate Noise in your podcast app for more great shows from the network. Mr. Teed, what kind of cider are you having for me today in this, you know, this early August that feels like fall kind of day? It does feel like fall. Yeah. I'm still in the summer drinks, though. Okay. I am not doing a cider. I am having a copper cup filled with um, my... Uh, my, fa- my new favorite drink that I've been having like almost every night uh-huh. to the point where I'm starting to question myself. Um, <laughs> I'm having uh, Moscow Mule. I almost couldn't. I almost couldn't remember it there. Moscow um, Mule. I'm just, okay. I'm just like I just like the the lime and the and the, and the ginger beer. beer. Yeah. And you do do a little of the what sort of uh, ginger beer do you use? Oh God, what is it? Is it like the 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 uh, red label cock and bull? brand no, is it the no, no. uh silver really canned no no it's a it's like brown and tan uh and it's got an animal on it i can't remember but man i i, I visit this about every night or every other night whether or not my wife joins me on it or not i'm just like i'm gonna have this is just a crisp like and i can't, i really can't taste the vodka in it oh yeah for sure that's it's just that's why it's fizzy, so fizzy cold drink mm-hmm, especially like, in that copper mug i just want it i just want that so bad so I'm having that. So I'm going to be very quiet every time I take a sip because I don't want to clink in the mic or whatever. <laughs> that's right. That's my we're, favorite thing. We're nothing if not uh, very pristine in our recording quality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I am having something that is uh, become the sort of tried and true uh, the last few recordings, I guess. So people are going to be somewhat uh, tired of me talking about it. But I'm having uh, the LaCroix sparkling water. It is the Lemoncello flavor it is um with vodka and but my vodka is a different one today so i'm going to shout them out instead of svedka which i normally drink this was the same price it also had a rebate so everything being equal i would have taken the svedka but this is uh it has a rebate for ten dollars mr teed and so i'm basically got 50 percent off of this bottle of vodka uh so it is a uh, it is a regular one liter and it is of uh, it is called Wheatley Wheatley vodka, mm. and the uh, the rebate is only valid in Nebraska for some reason because I feel <laughs> I just filled it out before we started recording and it says uh, valid in Nebraska and that's it on wow. the back which is interesting <laughs> it is uh, it appears to be a company that is out of Arizona so I don't understand exactly how Nebraska got this uh, this deal this rebate deal but uh i'm gonna get my 10 bucks in about eight weeks which is probably about when this will come out so anybody needs 10 bucks hit me up i'll I'll have 10 extra bucks (laughs) so anyway so that's uh that's what we are uh having those are the films that we are going to be discussing so let's go ahead and get into the discussion with our first film from 1982 and it is the king of comedy and what I'm thinking is I'm sitting here now, well, maybe this is my big break. This is my big chance. You know what I mean? 
you don't just walk on to a network show without experience. Now, I know it's an old hackneyed expression, but it happens to be the truth. You've got to start at the bottom. I know. That's where I am, at the bottom. That's a perfect place to start. So will you please give your warmest greetings to the newest king of comedy, Rupert Pupkin. His name is Rupert Pupkin. He lives in a world of make-believe. Oh, Jerry, I love this guy. Always coming up with these great lines. I love him. I love him. Nobody can remember his name. Mr. Pipkin. Mr. Pupnik. Mr. Puffer. Rupert. Pupkin, P-U-P-K-I-N. But by 11.30 tonight, the whole world will know that Rupert Pupkin is the new king of comedy. Robert De Niro. Jerry Lewis. In a Martin Scorsese picture. The king of comedy. And before we get into our IMDb plot synopsis, the quote for this film is actually not from Martin Scorsese. It is an improv line from Mr. Jerry Langford in the uh, in the movie, but Jerry Lewis. And it says, I'm just a human being with all the foibles, all the traps, the show, the pressure, the groupies, the autographed hounds, the crew, the incompetence. And then Martin Scorsese says that that was all improvised by him, and he thought that he was a wonderful actor. And I think Jerry Lewis gets a uh, a hard rap sometimes about just being a goof and being kind of a clown on screen. And so that is our quote from The King of Comedy. The IMDb plot synopsis goes like this. Rupert Pupkin is obsessed with becoming a comedy great. However, when he confronts his idol, the talk show host Jerry Langford, with a plea to perform on The Jerry Show, he is only given the runaround. He does not give up, however, but persists in stalking Jerry until he gets what he wants. Eventually, he must team up with his psychotic Langford-obsessed friend Masha to kidnap the talk show host in hopes of finally getting to perform his stand-up routine." All right, Mr. T, tell me about you and your long and varied and storied history with the King of Comedy. Well, it's not long, but <laughs> I do have some history with this movie, like oh, slightly. Okay. In in that I saw the Joker. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. Tell me, tell me about this. So I, is... I still, uh, for the listening audience, I still have yet to see Joker. I feel like I'm, I'm on this soapbox all alone now for some reason. Of course, yeah. No, I, I saw the Joker because um, um, we this year we we did watch the the Oscars and, and in preparation for it, we tried to watch a lot of the the, the best. Uh, um, what is that called? Best Picture? Yeah, all the nominees. Whatever. Who cares? Anyway, but it was up, and so I watched this before, you know, and, and just thought, oh, wow, this is very similar to Taxi Driver, but there's an element here that is not, and that other element is literally the King of Comedy. I mean, mm-hmm. it was quite striking how much Todd Phillips takes from this film. Mm-hmm. And then also the weird thing, and it's, I think this, I happen to think this is strange. Maybe it's not, I don't know. Um, this is the first thing I think I've ever seen Jerry Lewis in. Oh, really? I you didn't see, like, the original Nutty Professor and stuff like that ever no, when you were a kid? Never. I've, oh. I still have never seen anything like that. I, I'm looking at his page and trying to see some of his other stuff in Mad Mad World. Um, you know, any of the, any of his, like, the Bellboy. Yeah, like any of the Martin stuff. and Lewis skits yeah, never, and bits. Never and... saw any of that. It's just a blind spot for me, so. Oh, okay. Well, um, I don't I was... know. I mean, you. 
Uh, let's see. I feel like I don't want to invoke. Uh, I don't want to bring upon the wrath of like a Will Pfeiffer or something by talking about <laughs> like the Marx Brothers and that sort of thing. But I feel like I I don't love the Marx Brothers stuff because it's a, of a certain type, and sure, I don't certainly. love Jerry typical Jerry Lewis films because they're of a certain type. Gotcha. Okay. To where it's just like it's just like, like a personality that I don't yeah. key in on. There, there's an element there that I probably would be just because of I don't know. There's a, there's an element of how classic it feels. Mm-hmm. But this is I mean this is nothing. I mean in comparison to those comedies that he's known for, like this was such a different like oh a harsher, completely different vibe, film, yeah. and that's that's why I think I I was excited to start with this one. Well, it's something like. Um... Like, the first time you saw Adam Sandler do Sirius. Oh, yeah. Like, it's the first time where you saw him do dramatic, whether it's, like, the sort of faux dramatic in Punch Trunk Love or when he goes all the way in uh, Rain Over Me. Oh, like the gems as well, man. Like, those sorts of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh. when it, it's, it's like, when he was that surprisingly different, that's kind of the vibe here with the Jerry yeah. Lewis performance. And it's not... It, it, it's It's supposed to be a comedy we talked about right before recording how these are it's supposed to be a comedy but it's really kind of a dark comedy well it's it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not a com- really <laughs> it's a comedy but scorsese doesn't consider it a comedy oh really okay yeah. i was gonna say like you know for something that it, it plays out like i'm just watching this character portrait of this person and so that's why for me that like it's interesting seeing this um and, and, and the, the label of comedy and stuff like that, it doesn't really matter to me all that much. I don't really care what kind of film it is. It was just a really good story for me. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'd always heard of it, but had no clue what was behind all of this or what it was even about. Not knowing that the Joker, like, although I had heard that it was, it had pulled, you know, certain aspects of it into, into that film, I, I was interested in seeing it. You know, it, this one was a little bit higher on my interest list of the Scorsese. Uh, of the ones that you hadn't seen, right? Yeah. And actually, I'll just go ahead and say at this point, I think it ranks a little bit higher, uh, of, of the ones I've seen so far. Ooh, interesting. You know, of, of, of the ones we've gotten to at this point, mm-hmm. um, I think it's, I don't, I'm not sure necessarily if it's higher than Taxi Driver, but it's, it's up there. I mean, it's, it might be a second or third. And you, uh, and do you have your list going? I do. I have it right here, actually. I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I, I saw it, but my list right now, we can go into that if you want. Yeah. Um, well, I, I do. I, I love nothing more than teeing you up for things. So yes, yeah, tell me about yeah, your yeah, list. Yeah, let me do it. Um, I would say at, at this point, uh, Taxi Driver is the top with, with five stars. Uh-huh. I have two other films that I've seen already of his that are also ranked in here, but I won't say what they are because I need to revisit them. Because it's mm-hmm. been a while since I've seen both. Uh, but then the next ones down are, well, when I guess I'm going to give it away, but After Hours and this one both rank at four and a half. Uh-huh. I think I might like After Hours a little bit better than King of Comedy, but it is one of those that's just like, oh man, like, like these two were just so fun to just jump into and, and get lost in and, and stuff like that. And the time flew by with these. These two did not seem like chores. No, no, um, not a chore at all. And and not, it is, it is such a, 
I mean, even though the first film that we're talking about does have De Niro in the leading role, it does not, to me, feel like a Scorsese film. Yeah, and not in the way that, like, A Raging Bull or Main Streets do, because I, I, I have those ranked, like, relatively, you know, lower than the other, than the ones we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. But still, like, I, I consider those good films, but in no way do they stand. Mm-hmm. Like, and the thing is, what's interesting is, there's more technical impressiveness in Main Streets and Raging Bull, but not in After Hours Japan Comedy. They're shot mm-hmm. very plain. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's nothing that special going on in, in much of them. I, there's only, like, one scene in After Hours I can think of where the camera's doing something very strange. Yeah, well, in After Hours, in the book that uh, that Ben and I continue to uh, make our way through, he does talk about how that was a, a Hitchcock homage in, oh, right. the, in terms of the way that it was shot. So he does have the camera that it, the camera moves a lot, but it doesn't necessarily do a lot of showy things. But these were so much more fun too. Like these mm-hmm. felt like these felt like he was he was uh there's there's a certain element of joy that I could feel behind the camera. Which is interesting because if you look at the the way that they performed, like the King of Comedy was a a pretty big flop. Uh, like it like it didn't do particularly well. And then um we had talked about we had talked about this again before we recorded um the after hours section in in the the book Scorsese on Scorsese is uh, mostly focused on how the Last Temptation of Christ, which we'll do uh, when we revisit the the theme, um, about how that didn't get made, about how oh, right. you know, that the the they money were in the middle. yeah they were just about to shoot and the and the production budget fell through basically, uh, and so that's kind of what the after hour stuff was to where it was like a, well, I need to make a picture. And they started, it started being a little bit of a panic of, um, uh, like he was in turnaround at Paramount. And that was kind of a thing that Paramount was known for doing was always to green lighting something and then putting the brakes on it and then sending it kind of back to the drawing board. And when you do that, obviously you're not making the film and you just kind of are sitting and not really doing a whole lot. And so that's why he picked up, after hours, which was a, uh, an independent film. And so he was able to kind of get around the studio and just kind of make a make a movie and an adaptation of, uh, or make a, someone else's script and not have to futz with the script too much and just kind of do something that he wanted to do and, and, uh, not have to have it be a big budgeted sort of a thing. Cause I think that after hours was in at like four and a half million or something like that. It was, uh, oh, wow. was the budget. So very, very low. Yeah, uh, but, but the, I guess oh. so. So tell me about King of Comedy, though. So what did what yeah. is it that you liked about it so much? So uh, the thing, just outright, just just my my first takeaway, standing up after the film ended, was thank goodness we're getting something different and new from uh, both Scorsese and De Niro mm. after so long. And and I want to remind everyone too, as as Eric and I are both reading this book. I am also trying to go through every single film covered in the book. Like uh-huh. we may not go through Italian American or The Last Waltz or Who's That Knocking at My Door, but like I am giving every one of those pictures like like a chance. Like I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and put like put them on my list as well and stuff like that. And good on good on De Niro and Martin Scorsese for doing a character and creating a character like Rupert Pumpkin, who is not this uh, uh, brutish 
uh, machismo, or at least yeah, not real macho be, for sure. Yeah. yeah, not macho, not wanting to you know puff his chest out and push the way Taxi Driver, Mean Streets, Raging Bull. Who's that knocking at my door? Like all of these films from from the past uh, uh, sections of this, uh, like we're almost driving out of the like. Sure, Rupert Pupkin's a little bit in his persistence and his creepiness, but he's not that. He doesn't look like um, Jake from from Raging Bull. He, th- this is a, such such a different feeling, De Niro, and mm-hmm. it's such a different feeling film uh, up, that we've had up to this point. It's kind of similar to Taxi Driver in that you know we're following like a crazy person around, but. It's 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 fun because it's more fun because the subject matter is a little bit more interesting to me, and I'm just happy to I'm just happy to be out of that section of of, of films from from him. Even though like it, that, that section was sprinkled with something like Alice doesn't live here anymore and the Last Waltz, which I I also enjoyed, but th- but there was an element that was just a little bit more joyful and fun. You know, even Italian American about his parents. Just he's just pointing at, he's just pointing at the camera at his, at his parents while they talk about funny stories and stuff mm-hmm. like, like all of that's fun, but too much of it is much like the profile of Stephen Prince, the American Boy, or you know even someone like New York, New York, um, where um, De Niro plays um, uh, Jimmy Doyle, mm-hmm. the saxophone player. Even he's so pushy and so like. Like I said, like brutish and, and ma- you know, macho. Yeah, very, and stuff like yeah that. just just being like such a guy. The the tone, <laughs> I guess, is is a little is that much more different. I love the persistence. I love like how like I love watching this person's mind try to. Even though I feel like there are clues that Rupert Pupkin is in touch with. I love that name, by the way, Rupert mm-hmm. Pupkin. What a mm-hmm. what a crazy character name. Um, the, the, I love the the tone, like and, and the persistence, and like you're questioning for more for more of the movie than not whether or not Rupert is in touch with reality and like what is he really saying. But part of you also can can there's clues there that lead to you thinking perhaps that he is definitely um, in touch with what's really going on, but just chooses to ignore it in order to get what he wants and get on the air and, and achieve his 15 minutes. So I, I kind of love this swirling, um, single focused world of King of Comedy and how nothing else exists in Rupert's life except the prize and, and just, and which is to, for him to be out on that stage. And he quickly realizes that, you know, even, even, uh, even Jerry Langford, even if he goes without Jerry Langford, he'll, he will, if he has to go on without it, all mm-hmm. to go before him then or whatever. You know, he believes it so blindly. Um, and he's just so not funny. It, it, the, no. That's the kind of, that's kind of the hilarious thing about no. well, Robert and, De Niro yes. is that he doesn't, he's not a, a comedic presence. He, he, I mean, he does a hell of a job. Uh, being Rupert Pumpkin and being out there, but that's how that's how talented I think De Niro is. Is that you, you know, like um, I always hear um, on another podcast, I hear some some uh, comic professionals. You know, you and I are into comics a lot, so yeah. So there, there's these professionals that talk about you can tell a good artist by how how they draw like children's drawings. Mm. You have to like unlearn things in your mind to learn to draw bad. 
mm-hmm. or you, it's like you have to learn to act bad. This, this not only did not only does um, Robert De Niro have to like learn to act like a creep and stuff like that, but he also has to learn to like tell bad jokes as if he thinks he's the funniest person. I think there's a lot of talent uh, showing you how someone like Rupert can flop on his face mm-hmm. like publicly like that. So it's fascinating. And then of course he has help from um, Rita who uh, uh, is his like they're, they're almost like rivals, but they're also oh, uh, Masha, Masha, his uh oh, you're right. Rita's the other lady. Um, yeah, Masha is by Sandra Bernhardt. Right. Okay. Yes, you're right. Because Rita, yeah, Rita's the the gal. He either imagines that he's dating or it's, it's Rita's. Dirty. Yeah, that's the bartender lady. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sorry. That's it. Yeah, that Masha. was uh, Robert De Niro's uh, wife in real life at the no time. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah, Diane Abbott, uh, oh, and she was also in Taxi Driver. That's right. So, uh, so this was a this was a first watch for me, Mister Teed, uh, since I had so I had not seen that. I didn't have any sort of expectation really with it, other than I knew that um, I knew that uh, a couple of different podcasts that I listen to really admire the film, and so I knew that I should expect uh, good things out of it. But that's kind of all I knew, and I knew the name Rupert. Uh, I knew, uh, his name, basically the Rupert Pupkin, which is hard for me to say. And, um, yeah, right. It really, it really is. And so one of the things that I tend to struggle with is I have a hard time with awkward humor. Uh, so, which is weird because like, I really enjoy the office, but to see, uh, to see like a feature version of that where the person is so uh, not lovable in their sort of um, ignorance to where they're just very determined that they are a certain thing when they're not. Like he is like, like Pumpkin's almost a Michael Scott character where he just will not give up. But thinks he Yeah. And he has no, well, and, and, and so one of the things that I wanted to mention was, I think you're completely right in that he is, uh, He's something different. Like De Niro gets to play this kind of a dorky kind of a guy. He's got like this goofy haircut and these uh, blue like leisure leisure suit looking suits, like these cheap suits. And he's got this creepy little mustache. And it's just not what Robert De Niro looks like when you when you picture him. And so I think that he does a good he does a really good job of playing this much different type of a character. But I think that depending on how the third act of this film would have or could have gone, he, to me, could have been just as scary as a Travis Bickle type. To where when you finally get the... where uh, Sandra Bernhardt is trying to uh, seduce Jerry Lewis's character, and then she's basically nude, and uh, he takes the gun from her and pulls the trigger, and there's just... it's a fake gun, Right. Uh, if that were to have been like a real gun situation, that would have been this Rupert Pupkin is like Travis Bickle kind of a thing to me, to where he's so deluded and he's so kind of completely out of his mind. But it's like a little bit of a different tone of a similar sort of a character to me. And so I think it's interesting that De Niro plays both of those characters because here it is, 
you know, a lighter tone where his mind is just as messed up as what Travis Bickle's mind is. Instead, you know, here, instead of uh, him going to porno houses and and, uh, trying to pick up women, he's got cutouts of, uh, you know, he's got cutouts of Jerry Lewis or Jerry Langford in the film. He's got, uh, you know, his own little stage in the basement of his mother's house. And he puts on his show and he interacts and, and we have that really sad interaction where he's like, Oh, Jerry, you got all the jokes. And he like is pretending to laugh and slapping his knee. And it's not like, it's not goofy the way that he's doing it. And it's not sad the way that he's doing it. It's very real. And I was, I was pretty like, I was enjoying watching the film, but I was also like, Oh my God. When I was watching it, I was very kind of like, Oh no, this guy is not right. Because I didn't know what the, the yeah, because I didn't know what the, the end of the film was like. And I do, I do like where he's, he's yelling at his mom when he's trying to record that tape and she's like, lower it. I don't mind you playing it, but lower it when he's playing all the, the background laughs and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I really liked some of that made me at least smile, but I was, I was sufficiently creeped out by the Rupert Pupkin character. Yeah. Uh, I, I did really think that the, the way that one of the things more technically based or technical based that, uh, Scorsese did was I thought that the delusions and the mix between reality and fantasy was both sickening and kind of funny and really, really well done because you had that, the moment that, is the most Michael Scott since we brought him up is when he's getting married to Rita and the, his old principal is the one who's marrying them. And he starts talking about how, you know, we thought you wouldn't amount to anything. And we were so, when we were so wrong and I want to apologize to you. And like all of this really sort of self-effacing th- uh, lines that he's saying to the De Niro character and then later on when uh the Jerry Langford character he's in the delusion and he says uh you know he's got this talent and he can't uh, shake it even if he wanted to and it's just a thing that's in him and he's just got it uh and nobody can take it from him kind of a thing and i was like holy shit this guy is completely fucked like this guy's mind is completely messed up and i was glad that we didn't see a why like there wasn't like oh he was in nam Oh, he had his father beat him when he was young. Like there wasn't any sort of thing that said, here's why he is legitimately crazy. It was like, this is, he's just a weird guy. It's strange because normally I think I would be like, well, where's his motivation? I need to know why he wants to do this. But it never occurred to me just now until just now you saying something Mm -hmm. that, that I am, of course, like, why do you want this? Why, you know, but I guess in some ways, like it, it's kind of a great metaphor for celebrity and, and, mm-hmm. and, and or not metaf- metaphor, but like uh, maybe more of an allegory or something like that. But like the the whole idea that you know it doesn't matter whether or not he was in jail or not, he became the most famous thing. They're selling his book, you know, at the end of the movie, it's number one seller. And well, he's got his own let's show let's and, talk about that. So. Th- that is really happening, or that's not happening. I think, based off of how we deal with celebrity here in, in America, absolutely happening. And like, so, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that he, based off of what he has done, he is absolutely out of jail. 
because of being super famous, they couldn't contain him in there. And then it's the moment he's out, he gets every interview. Everyone wants to learn about him. He gets his own show. He gets his own show, you know, and then eventually becomes president because that's how that shit works. Um, Mm -hmm. But but that's what I mean. (laughs) There's this weird, like, like I totally believe that, that the, the way the heightened craziness goes off the rails by the, by the end of this film. I believe that that's within the, the reality of the film. And what's crazy about it, the fact that you're even questioning it, is so interesting because there were moments throughout this film where he is walking around with Rita, like the, the date with Rita, mm-hmm. or when he takes Rita out to Jerry's house. Well, God, like in the most like, uncomfortable scene I think I've oh, seen in a yeah. long time. Oh my god, it's so good though. And and like, <laughs> and I and I I actually you said the, like the sometimes the uh, what do you call it the uh, not situational comedy but oh like, like awkward the, the humor awkward, uh-huh. awkward humor. There's a bit of it that I just I either revel in it and like mm, this is so good like this is so awful like what an awful situation I kind of love watching it, but in like a painful type of way, but the reason why I feel like it was maybe a little bit easier to consume was because I could not tell whether or not that was really happening uh-huh, because it sure. started off so pleasant and, and, and him walking in with her and like putting on her, she's putting on a record and she's just helping herself to this and that. And I'm just thinking like, I don't know if this is real. I don't know if, if Rita in general is, is like a part of, reality with like if she only exists in that bar yeah in that bar or during the during the or is he talking to actually talking to anybody because we're given clues like him down in his basement with his crowd and, and mm-hmm. his standings or, or standings or whatever of the of the different celebrities there is this element of like i you could absolutely question whether or not he is he is really you know hang out with Rita. Right. Well, and only, only then when, when Jerry gets home and starts to, things start to get really ugly, you start to go, Ooh, like maybe it's, it's almost like a, a uh, awakening, like an awakening Mm -hmm. moment for, for all of us who were like, uh, what a nice little fantasy. And then we're like, it's like harsh reality. Mm -hmm. It's crashing in. Yeah. And, and see, I think that that's, what's interesting about that end is because the, the final shot is it's pretty tight on him. And you never really see the crowd sort of move. You just hear that same sort of audience reaction sound, you know, um, the same as if you would for like the, you know, Johnny Carson or Letterman or what have you, but you, it's, it's tight on him and he just kind of is like bowing a lot and, and raising his arms a lot. And since you don't have that reverse shot, I'm like, well, wait a minute is, all of this actually happening or is he just thinking about when he's in jail if this this is how it's going to be when he's done uh and i think that you know i don't think that uh i think that it probably is happening because either way it's a commentary either on rupert pupkin's mental state or it's a commentary on what you had already said where it's about the sort of um the celebrity sort of uh trying to think of a polite way of saying it like just the way that People are obsessed with celebrities. And whatever you do, as long as it gets you attention, that's okay. That's good enough. 
you know, it doesn't have to be a good thing. It just is has to be a thing, right? Yeah. So so long as it's infamous or famous, it mm-hmm. still has the word famous in it. Like you're still <laughs> going to be well known, and, and it looks like any news is good news type of feeling. Exactly. So one of the things that this definitely has a record for me um, is I have four different times when I have uh, my little uh, note to myself when I am, am taking notes. My awkward note is just the little uh two dots for eyes and then just a line for the mouth um that is four times yeah so i wrote that four different times in there because i was just so uncomfortable and the first one is what we already mentioned where there's liza minnelli and then there's jerry langford and he's talking to both of them as if he's in the show and i'm like oh my god in your basement this is what you're this is what you're doing okay uh then i just did well i I mean, to be fair, I did two of them next to the Jerry Langford house thing uh, because it was when he's talking to the uh, to the butler, I guess he would be. And he's trying to get into the house and he's like, oh, yeah, we'll just wait. You know, it was golfing, blah, blah, blah. And um, and then again, when Jerry finally gets there and he's he's actually being fairly cool about it, like he's just he's very he's being fairly nice. He's not like just flying off the handle right away. Jerry isn't. And then my my last one was the when he's when he's kidnapped Jerry and then you know forces him onto the show and he's doing the comedic bit and he's doing his stand up and I'm like I put oh my oh this performance I don't like watching any sort of anybody bomb when they're doing stand up comedy so when someone is doing really poor stand-up that is my least favorite sort of comedy because i feel so uncomfortable and i think that that's that's one of the things where like i am such an easy laugh like when we would go to different comedy uh different stand-up events like i want to be laughing so badly like i just don't want to feel that uncomfortableness oh you'll almost laugh you're saying you'll almost laugh out of the nervousness oh, of yeah. the situation. Like, oh, God, please be funny. And so any joke, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was good. You know, um, where me at home, I'm the complete opposite, where I'm usually a pretty hard sell when it comes to to comedies. Like, it has to really be a good joke, or I'm like, like oh, you, that's derivative of this. And my wife, like, who gives a shit? It's funny. Like, if you're 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 screening something, regardless of whether or not it's, it's supposed to be comedic or not, mm-hmm. like, and if, if it just makes you laugh, do you ever notice yourself laughing out loud or, or do you ever notice yourself like how you get when you, you know, or, or is it always, is it always a lot quieter? Cause I feel like for me, my laugh is always like kind of a single, like, ha, you know, or, uh, <laughs> or, or I'll make like, some sort of noise rather than sit there and just like, ha, 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 ha. Uh-huh. I, I see. I, and I, I think there. it's, it's specific, it's specific films. And for me, it is things like, uh, like the Zucker Brothers films, like an airplane okay. or a naked yeah. gun or something like that. Because I think it's the things where, or something like a MacGruber, where it's just so dumb yeah. that it knows that it's dumb and it has to be really smart to be that dumb. That's the sort of thing that makes me laugh. But if it's some, but if it's something that doesn't have, uh, like a knowingness behind the uh, stupidity on the screen. Then right. it, then I'm like, oh, just get this off the screen. Oh, just get it it's out of here. I can't. The even... other night we were watching something, Smith and I, and and, and um, it was a, it was supposed to be a comedy, and it was supposed to be the nervous type of comedy. 
Mm-hmm. Like, or the nervous awkward uh-huh. comedy where it is, it is just plain and simple, like, ugh, like, this is, this is supposed to make you feel really strange watching it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if I mentioned what it was, it might help kind of paint what, uh, like, the type of thing that we're talking about. But it was Zach Galifianakis's, um, between Two Ferns, the movie. Okay. On Netflix. Uh-huh. And are you familiar with the show Between Two Ferns? No. So he, he, it's Zach Galifianakis and he, he awkwardly interviews celebrities. Okay. Yeah. Oh, does, okay. Yeah. 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 And he does it so wrong. Like he either mispronounces their name or something mm-hmm. like that. And you mm-hmm. can never tell whether or not he says something on purpose. Sometimes they'll say something so mean or so like, like biting to the celebrity. And, uh, and they, they, they're usually really mad or they're usually really angry at him or something like that. And they play it up and, and there are moments where I'm laughing and, and I do a ha or like a real laugh, you know, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that or something. But for the most part, it was just so, it was almost too aware. Mm-hmm. So you really have to kind of ride that line. And that's why I, that my point is I'm trying to get at is the king of comedy definitely knows that line. It never once, like, doesn't read to me as believable. Because there was moments where I forgot I'm watching these actors, or even, like, Jerry Lewis, I, you know. And I bet it was very crazy to see someone uh, who you've seen in all these, like, I don't know if it's called slapstick or, or whatever. Yeah, these, it'd be pretty broad comedy, yeah. Broad, you know, not slapstick, but, um, but like, yeah, just these goofy comedies um, that you're suddenly seeing him in this role. And I'm sure, I'm sure it's like, it, uh, you know, I obviously can't speak to what people were like watching it back then, but I, I can imagine after, cause we're used to seeing someone like an Adam Sandler or something like that, you know, make the, his silly voice and, you know, flop on the floor because he got bit by an alligator on the butt or something, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Something like mm-hmm. that. And then to see him, you know, it's something like Uncut Gems where every single little thing is going wrong and he's doing what he does best, which is just screaming at a TV, uh, you know, or something. And, and he's just having a terrible night. Mm-hmm. That is that his strengths are being played to right there. The Safety brothers know to, to, to play to that. And I think that's kind of what they're going for here or what, what, what Scorsese has been going for here with something like comedy. So that, that was really nice to see. Yeah. Yeah, so this is one that um, I think that I really appreciated the different sort of the different sort of side of the main people, you know, with it being De Niro and Scorsese being a different um, a different side of them. So that was really nice to see. I thought that um, you know we haven't mentioned Sandra Bernhardt that much. I thought that she was tremendous and just this being. Very, you know, she talks about in the in the behind the scenes stuff to where she ha- was not really trained as an actress. She was just uh, a stand up at the time, and they wanted her to have sort of genuine, just kind of normal reactions, so that it wasn't like measured actorly sort of reactions to things. And she was a much different flavor than what we've been getting in terms of uh, Scorsese's women. To where she was kind of loud and sort of crass and just kind of really needy and, and just a, a really interesting kind of a type uh, that we didn't really get to see with, you know, she, she's just very obsessed. And uh, I thought that that was interesting. 
And I thought that the movie was really well done. I think that it's one of those where it's going to be a film that's a grower for me, though, because I think the more I see it, the less the uncomfortable humor will get to me and make me squirm. Gotcha. And to where when I watched it, I didn't, I didn't not like the film or anything like that, but it wasn't one where I was like wanting to uh, sing its praises or something to where I was like, Oh my God, this is a really good performance. And I really like all of these performances, but this guy is just too much. Like it's too good of a performance for, for my personality. <laughs> what, uh, one more thing about Sandra Bernhardt and, and, and her Masha. Yeah. Like the, the, I, one thing I really appreciated too, in just like the way it was written, was there was in the beginning, before they captured Jerry, there is this rivalry that's happening between them. Well, you couldn't do any better, or you screwed this up, or like mm-hmm, they're, they're blaming mm-hmm. each other, they're, they're, they're pointing fingers, and you're not good enough. Like she's really getting on him. And they don't seem to have like a relationship, you know, other than, other than just a rivalry. For Jerry's affection, or, or Jerry, like I got some of Jerry's hair, or something. Like, you know, they are they're <laughs> right. creepy, yeah. But there is like, indiv- they're two individuals who, or they're two dogs going for scraps, you mm-hmm. know, in some ways. Like they're fighting over just the tiniest little Jerry bits they can find. You know, oh there he is. You know, oh, you know well, like up, when he's saying like I gave you my spot and all that sort of stuff, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they think that one will help the other or something like that when, you know, when given the opportunity. And actually, I think maybe Masha is a little bit more uh, uh, scarier to me than than someone like Jerry. Because Jerry, Jerry's intentions, for the most part, he says he won't stop until he gets in front of that camera. Regardless mm-hmm. of what, and it's clear it's regardless without Jerry or not. Masha, she gets alone with Jerry for, you know, five minutes and she's ready to, to be on him. So mm-hmm. it was it was very that was almost kind of scary and, 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 uh, but also so fun just so hilarious how he's tied to a chair <laughs> like that's really good mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah so really good I think uh, it, I was held back a little bit by the style of it but uh, but yeah really enjoyable film if people haven't uh, you know, most of the uh, material comes from, or a good chunk of it, anyway. So, anything else about uh, the King of Comedy before we move on to our second film? Um, I'm excited to see where where it, when all this pans out, when all this you know we're through all of the films, I'm excited kind of to see where this lands because I have a feeling like I have a feeling like it'd be easy to to pop these down a bit down the list. Hmm. Just because I, just because it was simple, simply crafted for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just subject matter and, and, and tone and everything, like, it's so much easier to, to want to put a, a drama in ahead of it or. Oh yeah. Cause, because of like the, the social, because of the social commentary or the societal sort of, uh, issues yeah. that it brings up or it, these, it these feel least, shame. yeah, these don't feel as important in quotes as some of the Certainly. other work. It'd be a real shame to have that pop down the list just for that reason, mm-hmm. even though it, even though I can see it doing that in the sure. future. But maybe we'll we'll take a look. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, so our second film it is from uh, from three years later, and this is, that's one of the things that Scorsese says in his book to where he was he was done doing a film a year. He was going to make them uh, every three years, and his plan was to make them uh, for bigger budgets, and that was kind of what he was going to do. And then that 
like we had mentioned earlier, didn't pan out. And so he uh, found a script and picked it up and decided to make it. And it is from 1985, and it is called After Hours. Why don't you just go home? I've been asking myself that one all night long. So what happened? Why can't you? I met this girl tonight, okay, in a coffee shop. I feel like something incredible is really going to happen here. <laughs> so when I got home, I gave her a call. On the cab on the way down here, all my money flew out the window. I didn't really get along with her that well. What's the matter? I said, I want to see a plaster of Paris bagel and cream cheese paperweight. Now cough it up. So I left. So I haven't got enough money to get home until I meet this bartender who wanted to lend me the money. That's all right. That's all right. Forget it. Forget it. That's all right. Good boy. So I go back to the girl's apartment, but her roommate's really pissed off at me for the way I treated her friend. This the guy? Hi. So I march right in there to apologize. Come on! But she'd already killed herself. I was too late. Oh, wow. Lighten up. What is this? I'm in big trouble. I mean, big trouble! Now this part, you're gonna say, Oh, you're lying to me. Don't lie to me. But it's true. Mohawk this guy! I couldn't believe that! That's him! Tell him. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. I gotta tell who you didn't do what. Help! 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 Call the police! What's with you? Are you nuts or something? <laughs> Luckily, oh. there was this girl who saw the whole thing. You're dead, pal. I'm what? So now she's the one in the Mr. Softy ice cream truck who's trying to kill me. They're all trying to kill me. I mean, I just wanted to leave. You know, my apartment, maybe meet a nice girl. And now I've got to die for it, you know? What do you want from me? What have I done? I'm just a word processor, damn it. Is that all they After Hours, when anything can happen, and usually does. Is that unbelievable or what? That's all there is, my friend. And the IMDb plot synopsis for this one is a little rough, Benjamin Teed, but it goes like this. <laughs> Paul Hackett embarks on a trip to Soho in hopes of scoring with a pretty woman he just met. But when his money flies out the window, he is stuck in Soho. The movie details his experiences that night with a wide array of criminals, kooks, psychotics, sadomasochists, sadomasochists, I can't say that word very well, um punks and an angry mob trying to kill him strangely these seemingly disconnected events are interwoven in unusual and unexpected ways okay so a little bit of a rough uh, imdb plot synopsis i can't say that word correct correctly uh, and we'll just skip past that uh what did you think of uh the film after hours ben I really liked After Hours. I think this mm. of the two films we watched, I think I like this one a little bit more. Okay. Um, I can't decide whether or not I want to place it anywhere near, but I don't think it really matters in terms of ranking the list or anything like that for me, uh, for Taxi Driver. But After Hours just seems like it's, it's so interesting because although having been born in the 80s, I don't remember any of the 80s. Mm-hmm. And so this to me is an extremely 80s film. Yes. Like the ability to like run into some of the problems that he does. Yes. And be able to kind of have that life and, and, and all in one night and, and not be able to like just 
you know, you would think you would think he'd be able to get home at, at time and do all this. I just love that. I love mm-hmm. the caper and so and it's not a caper, but it's more like a I love how it's just he's hitting every branch on the way down of this tree and every single one of them socks him in the gut and it's just it's so funny because of how tragic his his life just turns at every single corner. Um, and the, the thing that's so fun about After Hours is momentum. Momentum. There's always forward moving. You know, oh, like yeah. the scene that you're currently in will just stick around for another 30 seconds because something else is about to happen. And it will be weirder and more interesting than the last. And it just, just, it, I was so looking forward to that synopsis because <laughs> it, because how the heck do you, do you, uh, do you describe this film? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, just judging, all I had to go off of was, um, uh, I've, I've heard great things about this movie, good by people's, uh, uh, his, um, uh, judgments I respect, and I was very much looking forward to watching it, and had high expectations, and I believe they were at least met, because I feel like this was, this was quite a crazy ride. Um, I almost don't want to reveal my hand too much about, uh, something because I kind of want to hear what you have to say. Okay. It, it kind of goes hand in hand. I'm like, I like this movie because blank, but I kind of want to ask, what do you feel about blank? Okay. Because that'll inform what I say. Because because uh, so did you? What did what did you think about that? I liked this quite a bit actually. Um, oh nice. So I think that I gave it the same rating as the King of Comedy because I think the King of Comedy has. A more interesting central character, more um, discussions of delusion and obsession, and a little bit more happening. Uh, this is just kind of like a fun romp of a terrible night, of, of a night gone wrong in New York City, and, and it is very much the 80s. Um, it, it is very much the 80s because it has Griffin Dunn in the lead. And Griffin Dunn, who I only know from American Werewolf in Paris, or in... <laughs> it's American this Werewolf in London. This is my only one. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen anything. And uh, and so those are the only things that I I know him from. But uh, so this was a film, like we had mentioned, that was owned by Amy Robinson and by Griffin Dunn, and it was a film that Scorsese was uh, just kind of. Um, you know, how Hollywood just kind of shops around different, uh, different projects or, you know, this guy knows this guy and you should work on this thing and that kind of stuff. And that's kind of what happened here. And I've seen, and I've heard about this from, um, oh, I think the pure cinema podcast, um, has talked about this quite a bit and, and I've seen this poster a lot. And every time I see this poster, I always think that it's Jason Bateman. That's on top of this clock. Oh yeah, oh and I'm God. always like, eh, I don't want. Right I was like, I don't want to see this Jason Bateman movie. Like he's just he just kind of does like a thing. I don't need to see this. And that would be such a different feeling. Movie oh, it too. would, yeah. And so with it being Griffin Dunn, I'm like, wait a minute, it's the it's the secondary guy, um, you know, from American Werewolf in London. I was like, okay. I was like, that might be interesting because in that film, he he sort of you know, c- continues to deteriorate throughout the film. And uh, he's the kind of the wisecracking sort of goofy kind of character. And I was like, all right, well, that seems to be right. And then you look at the cast and you have all of these mostly <laughs> 80s people, right? Whether whether it's people like 
having Cheech and Chong, whether it's having Terry Gar or um, John Hurd plays Tom the bartender, which I only knew from basically Big, right? Um, or you have Dick Miller or Rosanna Arquette, like any of those people. Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, Catherine O'Hara, right, right. <laughs> Catherine O'Hara, she's one of the ones that she does tremendous uncomfortable comedy. Oh my god, yes. Right. So with the whole best in show, a mighty wind for your consideration, etc. Her and her and John Heard, I was talking about how they're they're Kevin McAllister's parents. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so yeah. The, and they were talking, and I was like, oh, did you know that they're in the same movie? And, you know, turning to my wife, and then and then later on, I see them outside the window talking while looking at the flyer of Paul Hackett, mm-hmm. and then they point into the diner, into, into Dick Miller's diner, and, and so they're like going crazy. It, it, man, uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, so this was a film that, um, you know, right away we we get the sort of, um, we get the Rosanna Arquette scene where she's basically picking him up at this little cafe, and I was like, oh, man, is this not a thing that feels like it happens in this COVID world? Like, they'll, what are you reading in this community place? Yeah, yeah, let me come sit and talk to you and convince you just to come by. And then she starts acting very kind of strange, Rosanna Arquette does. And I'm like, what? A, what's going on? And I'm like, I wrote down here, like, holy shit, what a performance for this Marcy character because she is everywhere. Like she is so all over the board. And that to me as a non-actor seems like it would be the hardest thing to play where sometimes she's very sweet and very sort of loving. And then at other times she's very sort of manic. And sometimes she's very sort of traumatized seeming. And I'm like, what the hell is going on with this character? And one of the things that I wanted to mention about this script is I think that it is really interesting that it seems like it's three shorts that are so, sort of sewn together. Because it's wow. that it's that initial Rosanna Arquette-Marcy storyline with uh, Linda Fiorentino as Kiki, which is weird. And it's also got uh, it's Will Patton, who plays Horst. That's the the guy that takes her to the uh, the Mohawk bar. And I was like, Will Patton, oh my god, Will Patton's one of my favorite uh, audiobook narrators. He does he does <laughs> tremendous audiobooks, um, and uh, specifically Stephen King stuff. And uh, and so he, it was kind of like a fun, like, look at all these people, especially with, you know, at the beginning you have, like, Bronson Pinchot, right? And I'm like, oh my god, it's, uh, you know, it's just all of these people that I feel like I sort of know and I sort of remember, and that was kind of a intriguing, intriguing part of the film. But um, it did feel like it was three different pieces to where you have girl number one is Marcy. And then you have girl number two, and that's Julie, the Terry Gar character. And then girl number three is uh, a little bit of Gail, but also the June character, the Verna Bloom character who uh, puts the paper mache on him. Oh, right, at the end, yeah. and so and so, I was like, "Well, it's it's just basically like three different, uh, three different women, and then how do we interweave them?" Is sort of what it felt like structurally to me. So what is the? So I did enjoy the film, but what is the? What is the yeah, thing no, that you wanted to say? I mean, my thing is, um, you know, whether or not, uh, you know, let's say you you hadn't enjoyed it or something like that. My my thought would have been like, "Well, do you do you enjoy like the work of of David Lynch and like." Mm. 
and like in particular something like a Mulholland Drive. Yes. Um, yes, blue velvet. Yes, and 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 there's something about that that makes me think like if if you can't get into like just a strange night following individuals and maybe a lot of like what could this mean a lot of empty you know type of almost like movie dead ends uh-huh. like yeah. like McGuff like MacGuffin City type of thing where it's like every <laughs> single little turn doesn't have quite the quite the explanations that you're getting but there but there's something about the way it hit me I don't know I don't know what to expect or whatever this film just felt like like a like the perfect VHS rental oh, from the late, sure. late 80s or early 90s Absolutely. just going home and popping it in and just having a, a blast just just uh, um, going from A to B to C to D and then back to Z and then over to N Oh yeah, because like, little crazy. Ben could sit there and he could have his popcorn, he could have his soda, he could just be watching his movie late at night. He could get really to see some to some he get to see some naked lady stuff. Yeah. You know, he's got the guy that just you know all of these ladies want him, but he doesn't really want them, and he's got all of these sort of issues to where as a a younger person, it's like, oh man, what if all these ladies wanted me? And blah blah blah, wouldn't this be nice? But look at this guy, he doesn't. You know, it doesn't work out for him because of X, Y, Z. And so it's a little bit of like a nerd fantasy sort of a thing. Because Griffin Dunn is not is not a Hollywood leading man looking guy. Once again, and that's what that leads me into what I'm, what I'm trying to say here, is is that is so different than the Scorsese films that uh-huh. we've gotten up to this point. And even to the point that it doesn't even feel like a Martin Scorsese film. No, it does. It does like not it, feel it, like it. No, it feels more like a Lynch film or, or something, you know, more like a, like maybe even Coen brothers or something mm. because you just, I mean, Coen brothers would have a lot more symbolism and a lot more meaning I'm sure in it, but I'm, I'm not, not to say that this doesn't, it just, I, I never found myself having to pay attention to, to meanings behind the art and the paper mache and, what this could mean, what that could mean, what this ice cream truck means, or the Mr. Softy truck, or whatever. yeah, 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 like every bit of that, it just feels so like it just. Well, I, if you if I you want to, like, I kind of like how dated it is. I kind of enjoy, <laughs> right? How yeah, because he's got to he's got to find his way home. He doesn't have any money, so of course he doesn't have any credit cards. He doesn't have Venmo. He doesn't have Uber. He doesn't have a cash app. You know, he doesn't have those sorts of things. He wouldn't be able to just go to, you know, to borrow some money, you know, in that way or something like Mm -hmm. that. Or, and and then all the connection into, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Marcy being, uh, the girl that he's interested in, but then, and then you're kind of like, all right, I'm in, I'm interested in seeing, how this is going to go, uh-huh. how this night's going to go with her, and find out that not only do you not get to necessarily be with her, but her life ends that night, and then the the um, she meets up. He meets up with Julie, well, the waitress. Well, not only does he meet up with Julie, but he meets up with uh, the person, like you know, uh, Marcy's. I guess supposed a boyfriend or whatever. Well, it's husband and isn't because isn't horse is somehow well because she says that she's married because she's like who's uh, oh, Franklin? Right. He says who's Franklin? And she says that that's her husband, but I guess that's not who Horst is either because Tom the bartender, the John Hurd character from Big, is how I'm always going to refer to him as uh, the character sure. from Big, and he uh, he's the one who also was dating Marcy. 
because he talks about how his girlfriend died tonight. That's the other thing is there's so much to keep track of, Uh but yet none of it seems like, like I have to dwell on it for too long. No, it's it's one of those. That's what it, that's what it makes me feel like. Um, Oh, and this will be a, a, a nice reference for you. It makes me feel like a grown up version of something like brick. (laughs) <laughs> it oh, makes me right, think yeah. that Ryan Johnson has seen this movie because sure, it's got oh, all sure, of these sure. sort of like everything has to be connected. But then does it really have to be connected? I mean, does it really have to be? I just also I'm seeing this so I'm seeing after hours so close to a time where I finally saw um, Under the Silver Lake. Oh, you know, I, I did not like that movie at all. I know. <laughs> but in the similar way. That movie is chock full of like clue, and I think it's on. Obviously, that one is for sure on purpose. Oh, After Hours doesn't give you the pressure of trying to figure out what things mean, or or here's a map, or let me give you something that you think you're going to need to know or pay attention to, or this is super super important but not really important. Mm-hmm. And that and like while I enjoy the weird web of it all and seeing that. None of it, the fact that to come to the other end of that film and go, well, A, I don't, I don't know how to figure this out using all of this stuff. B, I don't have time to figure all this out. And C, I don't care. Whereas After Hours is more like, is more of this, it's a, the, the ending, we can talk about the ending here in a second, but it's such a Mobius strip film because it, 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 it's cyclical and how it comes back to the office from where he came the night before where he came from. Mm-hmm. That's why I think I, I kind of enjoy uh, after hours a little bit more because and in, in, in comparison of how you could do, I know they're kind of apples and oranges here, but in the same way of like having just a ton of having one character go through a night or go through, you know, in, in, in under the silver lakes, uh, case a, a couple nights uh-huh. um, trying to piece together some sort of mystery or seeing some sort of pattern or web um, that is kind of fascinating right. to see movies well, like that when you're where you're not certain whether or not you're seeing something that's meaningful or not yeah one of the things that under the silver lake did to me was it felt like so it's obviously trying to be like a neo-noir right it's trying to be some sort of like modern day noir film and your detective character is is like a hipster loser kind of a guy uh, who likes to show his ass a lot. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> whatever, Andrew Garfield. And so that movie just felt like everything was like it was it was a guy that didn't have to earn a thing. Like everything that he just kind of like would waltz into something, and he was just an obsessive compulsive that would make sense out of nonsense was sort of what I was trying to follow. I'm a, I'm a crazed person who, who makes a zine about uh, this owl person. Come on into my house and I'll tell you all about the, how, why you should listen to this map on the back of the cereal yep. box. Yeah. It was all the like pizza box almost, stuff almost that I was like, too, oh, okay, it's too self-important with its mystery. Yes. yes. And it's, and it, and it, and it didn't leave any room for this fun. Yes. That After hours has, yeah, it let it let it let Griffin Dunn go through this, and you watch his agony. How he oh, I didn't know tonight was was um was when the the subway 
fair. Oh yeah, that it went up to a dollar fifty. And then it plays later when he goes, "Did you know that was?" And the guy's like, "Of course." (laughs) Yes, I did know. Yeah, because that's that's what Under the Silver Lake was to me. It was it was so self serious and so self important. To where I was like, oh, I get it because it's a sophomore effort and it's kind of like, well, It Follows did really well. Do whatever yeah. you want. And they're like, got it. It's <laughs> so much fun, though, for some people, I'm sure, that want to figure out that mystery. And maybe it's, it would be different it, if I lived in Silver Lake or if I lived just in L.A. in general. Maybe. But, like, maybe. but think about this, though. Like, would you – if you had the time and the, and the gumption, I guess, to, to – Pull out your your whiteboard and and your your yarn and and your pictures and and, and thumbtacks and stuff like that and try to piece together what's going on. Like like I'm sure that film is great. I'm sure that film has a fun, real fun message somewhere within it. There's just something about doing that work that d- does not feel rewarding to me. No, it doesn't feel rewarding. Do and at the end of the day, I do not care about the character. Yeah. I do not care yeah. about him or any of the other people, so why am I still watching the movie? Is kind it's of what I point. felt like. Like here, Paul is not a great he's not a perfect guy. Like there are times when I love the fact that he knows how to be an ass to try to get out of situations. So he leaves Marcy, right? Like he just is like, This isn't going well. She is traumatized. Like she you know, maybe what, like a half an hour, an hour into meeting him, starts talking about a rape she experienced. And he's like, holy, like, whoa, like that is a lot. That's a lot to kind of dump on me. I don't know how to respond to that. Uh, this is also after she tells Kiki, uh, presumably to get rid of him because she calls him and he's just like, well, he's right here. I like, can't talk any louder, and, you know, that kind of stuff. And right. so he finally decides he wants out of there. So he's like, what kind of pot is this? Or what he says, like, what kind of weed is this? Or whatever. And she's like, it's Colombian. He's like, this is shit. And he starts being like a real dick. He starts being like a real ass to her. So he's like, she leaves to go check on something and he just bolts. And so that's like his sort of defense mechanism or his sort of way he knows of being a guy to get out of a certain circumstance. Like he he knows if he's a dickhead, he can get them to recoil and then he can leave. And so then he tries that again with Julie with the Terry Gar character. And he, uh, it's when he keeps kind of trying to get his keys. He can't get his keys, all that kind of stuff. And he sort of snaps at her too. And instead of turning to self harm, like, uh, the Marcy character does, she's like, well, fuck this guy. And so she makes the self portrait that makes the portraits of, of uh Griffin Dunn's character and says that he's this infamous burglar that's been going around through town. And so then he gets all these people that are chasing after him. And then the Catherine O'Hara character, she is completely crazy because yes, she lets him use the phone, but then she keeps doing the one, eight, six, you know, the thing that you would do whether you're in middle school or high school or whatever, when someone's trying to remember some numbers. And uh so you have all of that. And then the only one that is actually nice to him is the oldest uh, woman that he sort of meets and connects with immediately. And that's the Verna Bloom character of June. And they kind of just dance. And in the, uh, the restaurant that's, or the bar that's closing. And she's surprised that he's nice to her. And that's, that was like a very sort of sweet sort of connection to where she was just, 
he doesn't want anything from me. He's like, why are you being nice to me? And all that kind of stuff. It's interesting, too, because that, that relationship starts with him meeting her. Yes. About to, he's about to use her and to get to get to something. Well, ends up, and yeah, he ends, ends up, up using well, he ends up using her initially for a, like a human connection. Yeah. He's like, I just need someone to hold on to me for a minute. You know, oh, he's really? like, I've gone through I, oh, some shit. I thought it, I thought it was uh, him using her to get away from the mob. Well, the that mob too. But that then, too, but because it ends up being way more. He ends up getting way more from from Vertigo. Yeah, well, let, well, let's just go ahead and talk, and keep talking and, and talk through the ending. So we have. We have the Verna Bloom character, and it seems like he, because he's like just laying on her chest for a while, and then that's when the mob comes in, and she's like, "Oh, go downstairs, blah blah blah," and they go down there, and he accidentally gets the uh, the paper mache shit on, like spilled on him, and then she's like, "Ooh, I've got an idea," and she slaps all of the paper mache on him, and basically mummifies him, right? And then they put it on his mouth, and then he gets picked up by Cheech and Chong, who were the real burglars, and they drive him around, and then in the edit that is in the film, he falls out the back and ends up at work where he started his day. And that's kind of how it began and ended, and it's a full circle, and it's nice and tidy and everything like that. So, what did you think of that original original ending there that uh, that we saw, the actual ending that we saw? The actual ending we saw, it was such a, it's such a nice south for me after yeah. a night of chaos. Um, he's, what's hilarious about it is he still doesn't get that, that come home and crash on the pillow moment yep. that you, one would expect. It's, nope, the sun is up, the gates of work are opening, uh, get back in, get back down, right back where you started. You, you gained nothing, uh-huh. but you didn't lose anything, or, you know, or, or did you? To question for either of those, you know, it's fun. It's fun for that to just there's there's some sort of hilarity that happens from like I don't know, just just seeing that was so, was a little bit more satisfying than what I guess is the original ending, which I from forgetting what it was now. But. <laughs> so the original ending. So this uh, the the ending that they almost did to where Scorsese came up with it, and they were like. Uh, no, son, you can't do that. <laughs> it was when uh, they basically were going to shoot the June character, the Verna Bloom character, as um, growing in size. And then he was going to be inserted into her vagina. And then she was oh, going really? to she was going to birth him out on the street. And he was going to be nude. And Scorsese storyboarded that, and they said, uh, "No, you're not. You're not." I gonna... guess I, I guess I read in the Scorsese and Scorsese book that they were putting him. Uh, Cheech and Chong take him away. Yeah, that was the second ending. Body. So that was the one that they oh, okay. shot. So that's the and one they, that they, they shot. Drove away. They, they just drove away. away. So it's it. that same scene where they dro- drive away. They just didn't have that extended bit where he falls out and then Which is, is also at the because it perfectly cracks in the back. Right, <laughs> and he's able to, and, and in some ways. You still get a bro rebirth. Yeah, that's say, right. It's still say, yeah, he he's still just like an egg. I believe yep. my wife even said, "Oh, it's funny, just like an egg." Yep. You know. Yeah. So the the idea is still the same. It's just uh, rebirthed, oh, and then it's a I new day. That. I love that more. I think that's even funnier and more interesting. Than well, it would have been weird. Like, have you seen uh, American Gods, Ben? 
Or have you read that book, that Neil Gaiman book? I've I read that book a long time ago. I've not seen it. Yet, okay, so it's it's uh, it is on my Plex if you care to watch that, Benjamin. Ooh, nice. So it, but it is uh, it is a deal where there's a character who is um, the old go- one of the old gods. So there's old gods and new gods, right? And she's one of the old gods, and she's the god of love or or sex or passion or whatever it's called. And that's what she does is she kind of meets these people on uh, like hookup sites and then meets up with them and then absorbs them that way. And that's what keeps her alive as the old god is uh, the the people who love her enough. And she keeps saying, tell me you love me while they're having sex. And then it turns into like a insertion sort of thing instead of a having sex sort of thing. And it is a it is an interesting uh, visual, I'll tell you. So, so that was a so yeah, so that's an interesting piece. Um, what else about uh, what else about this film? So we we talked about how it's kind of got this crazy sort of breakneck sort of speed. It's not a Scorsese film. It's got these three kind of chapters. Uh, was there any time? Like I, I guess the only complaint I could see is that people are like. Jesus Christ, could he not just walk? Like, what the fuck is the deal? And in the IMDb trivia, it would have taken him about an hour and a half, I believe, to just walk and get home. And I'm like, hour and a half walk? I do that, like, every other day. I was like, that's yeah, not a big deal at all. <laughs> to be able to go that far or whatever. I don't know. I, there's a bit of me that just feels like this film, in comparison to the last one, or just comedies in general, I, I did find myself laughing out loud. Oh, okay. I, I, I did. I did. I could hear myself like react to this film uh, in such in such a uh, such a pleasant way that um, it's honestly kind of uh, for for having been a, a quite an artifact from the eighties, um, especially with like the technology used and and how you know um, how someone like Paul Hackett gets around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and with losing the twenty the and finding the twenty, and not only that, but like the Berlin Club, where we see Mark oh, Scorsese yeah. there. As a, as oh, a... Yeah, playing with the lights. I was like, holy shit! It was it was a little bit like God. Scorsese used to look like Oscar Isaac's. Like, what the hell happened? Oh wow, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah, but there's this. There's this. Um, I don't know. There's something about this almost kind of being more of a period piece for me in the context mm. of watching it for the first time in 2020. And, and having fun with that, uh, having fun with that aspect of it, rather than worrying about you know details of well why couldn't you just do this or why couldn't you just go over it? There's no logic to the film anyway. So yeah. There's no logic or explanation to the art yeah. or the uh, the plaster plaster uh, Paris. Oh, plaster Paris. Yeah, it's not paper mache. That's right. Yeah, it looks like paper mache though. Cause it it does. That glop in the. It, yeah, it's that goop in the stuff. newspaper stuff. Yeah, yeah, that stuff is. But it's off. it's hard as shit because they they've got that like donut paperweight that he that he wanted and then didn't want so from good. Julie. No, but I I just I just really thought that this was a lot of fun. Like this is one where I could see myself throwing on while I'm doing dishes, seeing if there's behind the scenes material because I did I did watch a little bit of the Keening of comedy behind the scenes stuff, but I didn't get to the after hours behind the scenes stuff. I believe that there's a little bit of extra business on my Plex, and I believe that there is uh, a uh, Criterion of this coming out. Ooh, okay. 
And so that'll be uh, that'll be interesting because I think that this is probably one of Scorsese's underseen films, I would guess, besides like, you know, his first couple. I would think like Boxcar Bertha is probably his most underseen and I because that's not really like Scorsese in quotes, you know. I know pure cinema uh, uh, really champions it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and I understandably because because uh-huh. of their 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 passion for this era and this type of film. Yeah, so like it, cult it does films. Pure, right. It does feel like one of theirs purely. Um, but it, I mean, it, there's something about it. I just love the kind of all the little uh, side aesthetics of it, not just the film itself, but mm-hmm. like you know how underseen it is. It, I I do think that this kind of belongs in like a Danny Perry cult book oh yeah um, it's not I, ch- I checked all three volumes here that's considered uh too mainstream or what do you think know. well no there's plenty of mainstream plenty of mainstream covered in danny perry books um, huh. but i don't know that this one just seems like of all the scores like even taxi drivers in, in i believe the first uh no no, no taxi driver is in the second volume. Mm. uh even like a clockwork orange bride of frankenstein oh really like all of these are in uh, cult cult movies too. Uh, they are really great volumes. Uh, Will Pfeiffer turned me on to these uh, and said these are some of the best uh, film books he's read because um, they're just it's just a book of reviews of, of Danny Perry's writings and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. they're all they're also even Terminators in these. The first Terminator, like that's that is extremely mainstream. <laughs> so <laughs> so the fact that like he puts it under cult. You know, he, this is just, he, the, well, the, the cover of the book kind of describes 50 more of the classic sleepers and the weird and the wonderful. Mm-hmm. This, After Hours is, is perfect for that. It, it, I think it fits every single one of those, uh, every single one of those descriptors because, because, um, because of the, the, uh, director attachment and then also totally a sleeper because i mean how often are we talking about this one in comparison to something like taxi driver oh yeah raging Ever. bull taxi driver you yeah, know good fellows you know, some of the hours. stuff that we haven't got to yet it's definitely in a different tier in those movies i think because it's just it's just not talked about in the same breath and yeah and maybe maybe it doesn't deserve to be but i think because of that there's a bit of me that kind of enjoys it better than movies well yeah yeah because it's like it's almost like a uh, it's not like it's your own like it oh this is just for me or something like that but it is a little bit like well people should be you know people should pay more attention to this one and because it's underseen i'm going to champion a little bit more than the one that is the big famous one and if oh if you're so big and famous why don't you prove to me how good you are kind of a movie yeah right you know, it's like, well, tell me why this is such a uh, so important of a of a work that I need to be paying so close attention to it. I think that's it's almost like you got to prove it to me. I think that's kind of why I enjoy revisits to these, oh, these yeah, for like sure. AFI lists and sight and sound lists and stuff like that because you know we are kind of a, another generation coming up watching all these films and yes, we do want to put our favorites on the list, the ones that we consider. But it's nice to look back at this other older generation and and seeing what they must have thought was was great, right? And and now that they're you know um, getting on the ship and going to the what is it the, what is it called in Lord of the Rings the gray 
Beyond or whatever. Oh, uh, but, <laughs> but wait, now that they're moving on to Grey to, Havens or something. Grey Havens, yeah. Now that they're moving on to that, it's it's time now to kind of like you know the world's changed. The our worldview is different. You know, mm-hmm. even the kid, even the kids that are coming up after us, they're going to have a whole new generation of people who have grown up during you know the coronavirus and. And, oh, and for sure. Even, even during the, the current presidential era and stuff like that, with a whole new take on what it means to depict women and to depict minorities and stuff like that. And, um, you know, we put these films in kind of a, kind of a, a, a tiered system where, you know, a lot of it does favor white male perspectives. Mm-hmm. And I will say that after hours is that, but mm-hmm. it's interesting that it's at least exploring um, several of these women throughout the night, and and getting that interesting uh, voice through. Well, one of those things to try to remember is that not even though it's a a popular movie or mm-hmm. something that's acclaimed, that does not mean that it is for everyone. Like uh, it yes, is okay absolutely. not liking a film. It's the yeah. thing that I like well, to try to drill into myself. I, there's one thing I've, yeah, that I think you and I have all, we've all learned in the last like maybe decade or so. It's, you know, I, I can tell you how many times I would, I would, you know, joke to someone else. I don't know if I'd ever, I, I don't know if I ever had the, the want to get on and just, you know, post about it on social media or anything like mm-hmm. that. But like, you know, dragging the Twilight films through the mud for for no reason other than it's just enjoyable to to, to just tear something down that a lot uh-huh. of people enjoy. You know, or or I'm always joking about how like let me ruin your Marvel film by mm. telling you it sucks or something like that. Like, <laughs> no, these these films there's there's craft to each one of them. There's something for everyone in, in, in some of these. You can we can watch a, a bad film and still take something away. Even something like Under the Silver Lake that that you didn't really much enjoy. There is something about about it that you can find enjoyment in. Well, yeah, maybe not, it, it's maybe not much, but it's, it's still more of a it's more of a discussion piece than it is actually a uh, a work that I would want to revisit. So, you know, like yeah, like exactly. I don't mind I don't mind discussing the film, but I wouldn't want to see the movie again. You know, that's interesting too because because we both we both um, I think that's kind of I think we're both kind of on the same page when it comes to you know, coming up with these star ratings and stuff like that, there yeah. is a bill, there is something about a revisit. Yeah. That I think about when, when kind of trying to come up with some of these ratings, like I can enjoy a film, but if I don't want to revisit it or I don't ever want to see that again, or this is going to be such a chore to revisit. Mm. That's that. There's something to that, that I feel like informs that informs like maybe a score or, or whether that would recommend it to somebody. Well, and, and part of the revisit for me is just hearing what other people think about it. Because, of course, while I think that everything that I have to say is 100% correct, because why else would I be saying it, right? Is Why, why else would I be talking about a movie if I don't think that I'm right about what I'm talking about? <laughs> well, also, yeah, it's, it's, your, it's your opinion, so of course you're right. <laughs> right. Your That's right. And so, so while I talk about different things, it's like, well, Ben really liked the King of Comedy more than I did. So is that only because uh it made me so uncomfortable because of Pupkin's uh sort of um unwillingness just to let things alone, like just to 
accept where he as is at as in his uh station in life or is that something that uh you know what is it about it that makes me so uncomfortable like that sort of a thing where since you liked it so much i was like okay well maybe i should give that another go because i i think i rated these both the same i think i either gave them four stars or three and a half stars something like that um but i i was i felt much different watching both of them yeah oh yeah absolutely thing is that rewatchability too for after hours Mm -hmm. you you that was such a good point about about how you know these feel like these feel like three shorts or three Uh skits put together totally is because you know you you could you could probably pop this movie in leave leave the house or leave the room or whatever and come back later and still appreciate wherever it is in the film because every bit of it is so different so fast-paced moving and momentum and stuff like that yeah you're just like oh hey well we're at the terry terry gar part all right okay terry gar i i I, i'm sitting there staring at her face going where do i know her from where do i know her from and she's been in so much stuff that i've seen oh she's in a ton of things but in particular the one that i'm like that's her that's her is you know Frankenstein. i just really liked oh for sure i just really liked seeing her from that so Well, yeah. How can you uh, how can you deny her performance in that? I don't think you could. No, that's that's one that I'll always love. Mm-hmm. Super good, super good. Well, anything else about uh, these two films, there, Mister Teed? I'm gonna have to like. There's something about I don't know. If, I don't know if you're the one that I talk to all the time that makes fun of me for physical media or not, but I feel like these both deserve a physical media purchase for me. I don't tease you about that. I get, I get all of my, I get all of my, uh, physical media and then I put it onto my, uh, computer door. Oh, that's right. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I, cause this is one of those that I feel like deserves to be seen by, by generations post 1985. Oh, for sure. I would, I would absolutely recommend this to more people and, and to be able to have a copy of it in order to either borrow or put on when people are over or something like that. Or, oh, you've never seen after hours. Let me go get it. So yeah, really? Let's pop it in. There's Did... part of me that is, that's, that's part of that. Now, what about this for, uh, the Mrs. Teed? What about uh, your wife? Did she watch either one of these? She watched, she did not watch the first one. With our, she didn't watch um, King Kong. Um, but she watched most of after hours. Uh-huh. Um, but she wasn't watching the phone. <laughs> I did put in here that, uh, so once he's, once Griffin Dunn is giving Linda Fiorentino a, a massage and she passes out mid story, I was like, oh, I didn't realize my wife was on this. Okay. Well, I think that that pretty much wraps us up. Mr. T now that Where I'm, is it? where's Eric going? Yeah. I was going to say now that I'm all like skeevy feeling, I'm like all squeamish feeling. I don't like the, I don't like that. All right. So if you have any comments, suggestions, or movies that you'd like to hear us talk about, you can email us at plainlabelpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow the show over at Twitter. Our handle's at plainlabelpod, where you could follow me. I'm at ericwilliams79. We also have an Instagram account. Just search for Plain Label Podcast, and you'll find us over there. If you wanted to help us out a little bit, you could check out our show notes, and there you'll find... The link to our Amazon wish list and on my Amazon wish list currently, Mr. Ben Teed. I've been saying this a couple of episodes in a row <clears throat> that have yet to come out. But what I have on there 
are some spooktacular things that I would love to have for yeah. the fall, such as, if I can get to it so I have the exact name correct, it is a Trivial Pursuit game, yes, but it is Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. It is a... Uh, so it is basically... Trivial Pursuit Horror. It says this has 1,800 questions from classic horror films and books. It has collectible trivia board game. It is a collectible trivia board game for fans of horror movies. It is from USAopoly. It is a bit on the pricey side, which is why I have it on my wish list. Of course. But it's it, uh, for uh, Halloween during a novel virus. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. And so it's got uh, it's got fun little uh, die-cast looking um, figures of like a Carrie-type hand coming out of a grave. It's got a, uh, a kind of like a mannequin doll that's all crushed up it's got a brain with a act with it like a meat cleaver in it it's got like a some weird kind of like a bull looking sort of uh skeleton head kind of thing it's uh you know it's good times it's it's not in stock until september 30th but i would love to have that if someone wants to to buy that for me i had always said that uh, me and the uh the the fine gentlemen that talk about uh, horror movies together all three of us get it all three of us play it it'll be a uh you know a little uh little fun little uh, bit of business so anyway, that's my that's my rambling thing about uh, Amazon wishlist. So I do want to thank Mr. Teed for coming on once again, uh, concluding this little first burst of uh, Martin Scorsese. So what will happen is we're going to release these, and then the next uh, group of me and Ben's conversations will come down uh, later in the pike. So later in a, a few few weeks, maybe a month, something like that. So I do want to thank Ben. Like I said, once again for coming on. If people wanted to hear more from you, where could they uh, where could they do that? You can find me on Twitter at Ben T. That's mostly where I'm putting my letterbox reviews, and mm-hmm. then through there you can go to letterbox, and that's where I post all the my lists and my my reviews and stuff like that. And I'm usually watching a wide variety of stuff, so all kinds of things. Marnie, when Marnie was there, very baffling. Uh, Studio Ghibli film. Yes. A new Buster Keaton documentary, The Great Buster. This uh, one. That was yes. Uh, I just, I just cannot. I just cannot with. I just have a sort of like physical comedy that I just can't do. I just can't get into. Whoa, that's crazy. I just don't. I just don't have the appreciation that I feel like every other movie podcaster does, except for me. <laughs> I'm, learning, I'm learning more and more about it. And then, of course, the other one from this week was Knock Down the House. Oh, uh, yes. The, the Netflix uh, documentary about... Ocasio-Cortez uh, uh, yes. documentary. Yes. That was uh, inspiring and great and gives me hope and gives me uh, chills and all sorts of fun. I mean, that was just a really fun thing to see, uh, yeah, especially good, right now. I was going to say the good piece is that she is going to just plow her way through that district for years and years. It seems like it. I I am I'm very I'm very very interested. I was very interested in seeing these humble beginnings, and so that's why I think oh, absolutely. That I recommend that. Doc, well, and so. it's like how fortunate for them that the 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 one that that jumps the most out of that documentary is is her, right? Is yeah, the one is, else, because she's is, the most she's the most uh, personable of the of the group. Everyone else is so uh, uh, compelling. Yes. But she is absolutely the most compelling. Like, like there's something about her that you're like, oh, 
you can just tell right away she's destined. Yep, they're like, ooh, we've got something. We, you know, I can just see the the documentary filmmakers just salivating at the dailies, going, ooh, we definitely I have something here. Need to, be, to be on the Supreme Court justice. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm just asking. I was gonna say older than her. It's it's one of those yeah. where I've I've seen several things like how long is it until she can uh, run for higher office? Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, well, weird. it's it's not 2020, so let's just worry about that. First. Yeah, it will be. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. But we'll get you know, she'll she'll win in the fall, and then um, hopefully we have uh, somebody else at the highest office in the fall. Um, but she'll definitely win in the fall. So, so there you go for that. All right. Fingers crossed. All right. So, uh, thank you for listening and you can join Ben and I in a few weeks when we discuss the next Martin Scorsese films, The Color of Money and The Last Temptation of Christ. I'm gonna love you like no one's love you. Come rain or come shine. High as a mountain, deep as a river, come rain, come shine. I guess when you met me, it was just a one of those things. Like no one's loved me Come rain or come shine Happy together Unhappy together And wouldn't it be fine Days may be cloudy Happy together Unhappy together And wouldn't it be fine